Welcome into the 30 for 30 Club. I am your host, John Thorpe, joined as always by Bobby Nemeth. And today we have our first episode of the MLB season. We're going to talk all about the weekend that we just had. We're recording on Sunday night, so some teams have played four games, some have played three. Bobby has had MLB Network on 24-7. I have been doing fantasy baseball drafts left and right. We are... Our heads are in it, so we are ready to talk baseball. Bobby, how are you doing? I'm good, man. We're getting at it uh, a little bit later tonight for about 9 o'clock, so uh, burning the midnight candle, so to speak. Uh, That was my fault. That was my fault. Had to finish (laughs) up my third fantasy draft of the weekend, so... You had three this weekend? I thought you had one. I had had three? Three over the week, I should say. Good Lord. So how'd it go? How was this weekend? Who's the big name? Who'd you get? um, I was really proud that on my... So I'm in... I could talk for hours about this, but just really high picture. I have Luis Robert in every single league that I'm in. And so far, he is hitting the ball frequently. That makes me really happy. Um, And my AL only team, I got what I think are probably five of the top 10 hitters in the entire AL. I have, um, uh, I'm trying to do this off memory, but I have Jordan Alvarez, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Shohei Otani, J.D. Martinez, and there's one other, but... Um, you stacked. Oh, and Luis Robert, of course. Um, yeah, so yeah, I... absolutely stacked. I... I it is ale only, but so it's a little shallower. But yeah, I feel I went very aggressive after hitting this year and cornered out the other teams in the league as best as I could to try and get those hitters. So the pitching, I feel like, is always shakier. And we'll talk throughout the season of I have what I call the, my circle of trust. John's circle of trust will be a segment that we'll small. talk about. It's very small. So, you know, there's not a lot of pitchers that I feel good about starting on a weekly basis but yeah anyway it it was a lot of fun um it's it's nice to wrap up with them though i think i'm (laughs) i think three is plenty of teams to have i know some people that do more um but you know after a certain point it's kind of like you know if you have five leagues and you win a championship in one like is that really that big of an accomplishment (laughs) when you're you know you have a one in five shot essentially yeah i mean a win's a win right yeah, I mean, there's different ways to look at it, but yeah, fa- I've it. been I've been doing fantasy baseball for probably twelve or th- this is my twelfth season, thirteenth season. So this is always a very busy week because we wait until the season starts to have all of the you know twenty six man rosters. I guess twenty eight this year. You know, all of the rosters finalized. Know right. which which prospects made the team, which didn't, and usually you have to wait till like the night before opening day till you know that stuff. So. So between uh, getting your MBA in fantasy baseball, um, there is no sleep for John. <laughs> no not, sleep. Not anymore. Not in springtime. That's right. Um, next weekend, I have my plans cleared, and I'm ready to sleep in and <laughs> just All relax right. next weekend. That's good. You'll have, you'll have a good summer, too. Just baseball, relaxing before you hit your, uh, your big man job. True. Very true. So how was how was your weekend uh, tuning in to MLB Network? 
uh, I mean, it was fun, man. Like, uh, I feel like, you know, you talked about last week, you know, how excited I am for the season. And I said like, w- like quite a bit more than I have been in a long time. And like, like that really holds true because I was, I was paying attention to a lot of different games. Whereas before, like, you know, I might scroll through on the scores and see what's happening. Um, but I'm really only watching the Yankees game. But this weekend, uh, I was just really interested in watching, actually watching every game that I could. And obviously the Yankees were on, like that was my full attention and focus was watching them play. But even uh, in between innings and things like that, I'd switch on and watch and like, how are the Phillies doing? How's that offense looking? You know, the Mariners and Twins are playing both storylines in the offseason. How's that going? So it was a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun to kind of dive into those storylines, see how these teams are working out in the first three games. And uh, I don't know, it's really get immersed back into baseball. I'm just happy it's back. Yeah, totally. And we, we have plenty to discuss about overachievers and underachievers and um, kind of what we've seen from the first weekend. But first, I think we want to summarize two other just to give a little segment to the two other sports that kind of wrapped up their big um, events over the week. So, Bobby, who won the yeah, national I mean, championship in basketball? Yeah, Kansas. Kansas did, there which is go. what I predicted. But it, No, you like, not you, on your you, bracket. No, I mean, that's what I predicted last week. Okay, <laughs> I just want to clarify okay, for everyone that, My that bracket was uh, in like, case they misunderstood that. In the 20th percentile, it, it didn't go well. Um, but Kansas won, and it was a really good game. UNC had more than enough chances to win that game. They were up by, I think, 16 or 15 at one point in the first half. And Kansas came out of the gate in the second half and, uh, and just hit it and tied up the game. And then the last 10 minutes or so, it was really like a one-possession game between both teams. And UNC, they had like six attempts, it seemed like, to tie the game at the end, and they just couldn't make it happen. So... You know, I wouldn't say they, it was a choke. You know, these are college kids, but uh, they had that opportunity. But either way, I think it was a three-point game. In the end, Kansas wins, and uh, it was fun, man. It's a good game. That's all you can really ask for. If you don't have your favorite team in, in whatever game or whatever sport, all you can ask for is uh, a solid, uh, high-pressure game. And that's what we got. It was fun. Yeah, and I think... You know, what I've experienced, at least online and with some of the people around me, is the North Carolina fans haven't been as annoying as they normally would be because they overachieved this year. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, if if they had been a one seed and they lost this game, you know, we wouldn't be hearing the end of it. But the fact that I don't think most UNC fans ever expected to get that close, I think overall they were pretty happy with the result. So For sure. I think that always helps. Even at like a blue blood college like UNC, uh, extremely successful, they didn't expect anything this year coming out of it. Like them even making the tournament was like, it was not a surprise, but like it felt like, well, okay, it's a pretty good season. And then as an eight seed to make it to the title game, it, you know, as a fan, you've, it's going to be hard to find um, a ne- like a negative aspect of that. You're going to feel good about it. You're going to feel like, okay, it's a good season. Like we didn't expect much. We made it to the title game, made a final four. So, and they made a run at it too. They had a good shot. So like you said, not, not as, uh, as insufferable because of that. Right. And then, uh, our guy, Scotty Scheffler 
winning the Masters. Our guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he won the Masters. Which, I talk uh, about it as if I'm a big fan. But... I'm the golf guy. This is the, this this news piece <laughs> is for me. So if you're not a golf guy like me, um, the Masters is I would say arguably the biggest major in golf, and they play at the same course every year. It's at Augusta National in Georgia. And um, it's just, uh, it's been going on for, God, I don't even know how long, nearly a century. And uh, it's just an, an establishment. And um, the biggest story wasn't Scotty Scheffler winning necessarily. Obviously, that's a big story. And he won pretty comfortably, especially after the second round. But Tiger Woods was his first tournament competing, I believe, and coming back into the Masters after his accident last year. So he got a major ca- uh, car accident, if you didn't know. Everybody knows who Tiger Woods is, I think. Um, he got a major car accident last year, had to be uh, rescued by the jaws of life, crushed his leg, broke it, I don't even know, like in 20 different places. They thought he might lose his leg, and then they weren't sure if he was going to walk again, let alone play golf again. And here he is a year later playing in the Masters, and uh, that's pretty cool. Um, Tiger Woods has always been the biggest story in golf and in sports, really. So anytime that he's a part of any tournament, let alone a major, um, it's just good for the game. And for him to come out, and he made the cut. His first two rounds were pretty good. He fell off pretty hard his last two rounds, but he still made the weekend. And uh, that's pretty. it's just a pretty cool story. So um, shout out to Scotty Shuffler winning the green jacket. But also shout out again to Tiger for just pushing through, man, and persevering. So quick question, Bobby. In a lot of other sports, when there's like a storyline around a superstar, you know, somebody making a comeback, people will sometimes be skeptical of like, oh, you know, they're getting kind Mm -hmm. of some help from the league because it's good for TV ratings. And like, you know, there's maybe some questionable things along the way. In golf, I don't know the sport well enough. Is does that happen or is it pretty strictly like you're you have to perform in either in order to get to certain benchmarks there's no like oh we need we need tiger woods to be on the weekend games uh because it's good tv there's nothing the sport can do about it and here's the thing is that tiger woods hasn't been a dominant person in golf in over a decade i mean he really hasn't been a dominant player since 2009 he had a run in like 2013 where he started to get it back, but then he got injured again. But believe me, if golf could do it, they would have him on the weekend every single tournament because the viewership goes up exponentially. I mean, you look at the galleries that follow him, even on practice rounds, like he is always going to be the biggest draw in the game. So if golf could have done it, they would have made it. But unfortunately, it really is on that individual. There's nothing more that uh, the game can do for him. Um, it's all on him to be able to perform and make it to the weekend. That's it. It's as simple as that. It's very black and white on performance. And uh, and uh, it really proves it because he's he hasn't been good. He really hasn't been a good golfer, especially the last like six, seven years. He's been bad golfer, really. Um, so... I guess to your point is no, the golf, like the game of golf, the PGA or the USGA or whoever um, really can't force that. Right. One, uh, one thing I can contribute to this, not golf specific, but uh, in, I took a marketing and branding class this last fall and Mm -hmm. we were talking about Nike and how they sponsor athletes and everything. And Tiger Woods was one of the examples that got brought up. And Bobby, I think I've told you this before, but, we did a study of uh, 
just there was a advertisement with Tiger Woods. It was like a quick 15 second spot. Um, maybe maybe the Super Bowl, maybe something else. Um, but, you know, like a very highly viewed commercial that Nike put out. And we had to count the amount of Nike swooshes that you saw in like a oh, fi- yeah. in a 15 second span. And this is a clip literally of just Tiger Woods on the green. There's nobody else around him, not even like his caddy or anything. And we counted 34 different Nike swooshes on his body. Isn't that insane? That's, that's that branding, man. <laughs> yeah, that's what Nike does. Um, and yet it, it like it didn't feel super in your face and maybe it's just because nike and tiger woods are like completely inseparable and like our brain just almost skips over it now like you don't even think about it but you know we counted he had like five swooshes on his hat alone his polo had like another six or seven his belt his pants his wristband like everything it was pretty wild to uh to just actually count how many times you see a logo and we looked at some other examples in sports as well but i just thought that that was relevant to this is like tiger woods wears 34 nike swooshes on his body when he's i mean he's like a walking billboard like michael jordan you know what i mean you just put your brand and it's gonna sell you put out your brand on him gonna be okay yeah so all right to the meat of the day baseball bobby the short porch report First week of the season edition. Take it away. That's right. First first week of the season is short porch report. I love it. Um, well, we won the series against Boston, so that's as good as I could have hoped for. And you know, coming off an off season of uncertainty where we really were pretty quiet and the only moves that we made were pretty controversial, you were kind of like or just turning it back with kind of the same lineup and hoping for different results. And so you're a little nervous about that, but um, first week it's <laughs> first weekend's been good, man. Two out of, we won two games for two games. We lost tonight by one run. Unfortunately we got 11 hits and could only score three runs, 11 runners left on base, 29 left on base total. That's fine. I'm not upset about it. Should have, should have swept Boston, but either way we won the series. And so a couple of my highlights, um anthony rizzo like wow guy hit two two run homers first two days he's just been a wizard at first with the glove he's just a presence in that lineup there's just like this calmness that even if we're quiet and we're we're looking a little sluggish rizzo comes up and he feels like he just feels like he's that spark for us um in our lineup and our on our team and having a whole year of him i think is going to make a world of difference um stanton Still hitting home runs, um, my guy. Like he uh, he struck out three times on uh, opening day, which wasn't great, but he still hit a home run, and we won that game. So whatever. And then last night, uh, yesterday, he hit a two run bomb to put us on top, which made it six games in a row against the Red Sox that he hit a home run. I haven't checked the box score. I wasn't able to actually watch the game tonight, but I don't think he hit a home run, so that streak ended. But six games in a row, Stan hits a home run against the Bo Sox, so he's crushing the Sox. I love it. That's a true Yankee right there. Um, Donaldson, too, who I was very critical of coming over. Um, he's been great, man. Like, great defensively. He got the game-winning hit on uh, Friday. He's been he's been really barely in the ball, too. He's got a lot of outs that are hard-hit balls. Uh, Verdugo, that bastard. Um, 
stealing hits away from him and hitting like right at Devers at third. Uh, he's really squaring him at the ball. And um, like I said, he's that kind of spark too. Him and Rizzo, I think, are just going to give us a lot of energy we didn't have last year. Uh, bullpen, lights out, man. I mean, we have 16 pitchers on on our team right now. We were using everybody in the first three games and they've been incredible. I mean, Schmidt gave up a home run tonight, but that's one run. I mean, that that happens overall. I think we pitched something like 20 plus innings, only giving up two runs in our bullpen. Um, they're looking fantastic. I think that's probably our biggest strength of the team. And ultimately, like we make to the postseason is going to be what carries us uh, deeper into a playoff run. If we make it that far, our offense is really the question there. But you know, starting pitching, Sevy coming back, haven't pitched really in three years and really in four years. He looked good. He gave up a couple runs. He gave up a home run to Verdugo. But, you know, solo shots happen. It was a two-run bomb because of an error. Um, but overall, he looked really clean. His, his slider's looking good. His velocity was up into triple digits. And he was locating at command. So I think we're going to get a good year at him. Cole, Garrett Cole looked really rough in his first inning. He gave up three runs, four hits. and uh, But he settled down the next three innings and looked pretty good. So still some questions there on consistency on Cole's part. He's got to get together. If he can... Stay consistent, him and Sevy at the top of our rotation. You're going to be good. And um, my other kind of uh, observation is uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa has looked terrible for us. And I know it's only the first three games. First time as Yankee. Defensively, he's looked terrible. I think he's hitting like, oh, he's one hit. He's like 0-69 right now. Um, bunch of runners left on base, a couple strikeouts. And he just hasn't had good contact either. He's looked really nervous and uh, unstable up there so some big question marks around ikf at shortstop for us he was supposed to sure up our defense at short he's gold glove winner and he look he's been fumbling looking really clumsy really stiff out there so it's a lot of pressure i mean it is you know you're right it is especially when um, you start against this you start the season you know in yankee stadium against the red sox It, it doesn't get much more high pressure than that i don't think and but the thing is with him is that everybody's like, oh, he wants to be Yankees. This guy's built for New York and big cities. Like he doesn't feel the pressure. Like he thrives on this. Well, clearly he doesn't. So we'll have to let it. You know, it's a hundred and sixty game season. Got to let it ride out and see what happens. I mean, Didi when he came over, Didi Gregorius and replaced Jeter. His first year was terrible. He was horrible. Uh, and then he was great, and we loved him. And I miss Didi. So you know, you got you got to give people time. And so I'll give him. Give him the time. The first three games isn't enough to judge anything or anybody, but uh, so far he's looked pretty sloppy. So overall, we're looking good. Um, Went in the series, and now we got a four-game stretch against uh, Toronto. So this will this will be an interesting series. And uh, you know, you never know beginning of the season how things will turn out, injuries and whatnot. But um, this four-game set could really set the tone for the next uh, at least a month or two. So. So what I got, man, that's conclusion and, uh, you know, go, go Yankees. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about them. I, I am only as invested in the Yankees as the players I have on my fantasy baseball team. So I, know I, I check in it's all them, about the analytics, check in on them every night in the box score, see what happens. Uh, I, I did invest in Aaron judge this week for the first time ever. Oh, Hey, real quick, so, not to yeah. interrupt. I got to talk about Judge real quick and the extension that he didn't ah, yes. sign. So, so Aaron Judge, his last, uh, his last year, 
um, of eligibility with the Yankees is this year. And so after this year, he's a free agent. And the biggest, one of the biggest pieces of conversation under the Yankees organization was to sign him to a long extension to keep him as a Yankee. He said he wants to be a Yankee. We definitely want him to be a Yankee. He's the captain of our future. And um, his deadline to sign an extension was opening day, first pitch, and uh, it didn't happen. And uh, I would be lying to say that I'm not really disappointed by that. And I want to get your take on this real quick, too, because the offer that came out was like, I think, a seven year, $213 million extension. Okay. So that roughly put him at $30.5 million uh, annually mm-hmm. every year, which would make him the second highest position player in the game behind Mike Trout, which I think that deal was an extremely good and respectful and fair deal. Yet Judge and his party decided that uh, they didn't think it was, and he's going to bet on himself and hoping for a bigger contract in the free agent market next year. So I don't know. What's your take on that? I think he should have signed that. Uh, I agree. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. if you, you know, we can pull up a comparison of games played between Mike Trout and Aaron Judge over the last you know, four or five years. And I guarantee you, Judge is probably two thirds of the games played, would you say? Oh, easily. I mean, he's, he's only played, I mean, in his, uh, came up in 17. So what, this is his sixth year, obviously. So in his five years played, he's only had two seasons, I believe, where he's played over like 120 games. It's not good. Yeah, I mean, it's not good. Judge's, now he's... judge's problem is staying on the field. And so, right, staying to, healthy. To say that he should be the highest paid player in baseball when, you know, he just hasn't contributed as much, I think is a little misled. I think it's really like, I still love Judge, but I'm, I'm still really confused and a little taken aback why he, he thinks that, I think rumor comes out that he felt like he should have had a little bit more money and he wanted, um, I think a nine-year extension, which my dude, like, that you'd be forty years old. Like, come on, be realistic. And again, for somebody that's only played two fifths really of seasons that he's had, I mean, he had he should have won MVP in seventeen, but he still didn't. I mean, look at Trout; he's won what three MVPs? Judges won zero. How many World Series have he won? Zero. So, mm-hmm. like, as much as I love Judge, if you really want to go look back at these things, like. He doesn't have a lot to stand on. And right now he's just betting on himself to have a monstrous year to to establish the contract that he set himself out for. And I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think, and this is my bold statement, I don't think he's going to get a better contract than what the Yankees offered him for this extension. It's just not going to happen. Fun fact, he has not led the league in any... Uh, major statistical category since his 2017 rookie of the year season when yeah, he well, led the league in so. uh, four different categories including strikeouts yeah he's gotten a little bit better on strikeouts he's still not great but he's he's definitely improved year over year yeah but, but anyway it, point being i'm disappointed left and right but mostly disappointed for the first time in the player not in the yankees i'm usually disappointed in our front office but i think they gave him a great deal and uh just confused and scratching my head why he didn't accept it yeah unless he you know unless he's feeling like that team isn't where he wants isn't the lineup he wants to hit 
hidden. I mean, you know? maybe, but he's just so vocal about how much he wants to be a Yankee for his whole career. And he's been saying that for years. And he said that this year. And uh, you know what state he's from? That's though. that's the head scratcher. What, what are you going to tell me? He's from California. <laughs> so just, Garrett Cole's from California. CC Sabathia's from California. Just Come like on. a guy named Freddie Freeman who decided to go to California. Freeman only went to California because the Braves gave up on him. Freeman was ready to go back to the Braves. He would have gone back. I'm just trying so, to get you worked up. Well, it's working, John. <laughs> it certainly Anyways. is. All right. Anyways, enough of that. What else we What else we got? More stories other than the Yankees, obviously. Uh, yes. What, what there, do you got? What's there your is a world. There is a world outside of the Yankees. A um, small world. Yeah. So let's let's go with the Mariners. So the Mariners, like the Yankees, went two and one over yep. the first four games. They did not play on Thursday due to a postponement in Minnesota. I believe as weather was it just too cold? Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of weather. The Yankees game got postponed on Thursday too. A lot of games in that area did. And so with the Mariners, I would say the starting pitching, other than today, Sunday, uh, you know, on, on Friday and Saturday, the starting pitching looked pretty good. Um, we had start out with Robbie Ray pitching a seven inning one earned run start and for those of you that don't follow baseball stats super close seven innings is like pretty much not it's like it, unheard it's, of right now right like, now i mean if you look at box scores from the last four days i would say most pitchers are coming in at between four and five innings like right. four four yeah. and a third four and two thirds even if they're having a good game even if they're pitching you know like one earned run it's it's four and two thirds and then you get taken out um and of course you know teams are going to be a little more conservative at the beginning we had this lockout so they're trying to stretch pitchers out you know yada 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 but a trend over the last few years has been very few guys go seven innings in like six innings is celebrated as a good game now which is crazy to think about just you know five years ago that was not the case but anyway robbie ray seven innings on 96 pitches and then the night after, uh, Logan Gilbert made his debut for the season, pitching five innings with seven strikeouts and one earned run. So yeah, he looked pretty good. Bullpen is a little mixed. It's not terrible, but um, you know, I would say the pitching overall has, in a very small sample size, everything we're going to say today has the caveat of a very small sample size, but right. Through the first three games, the Mariners pitching, which is the area I'm concerned about, looked looked pretty good. It, it looked, looked like good. a wild card team. Yeah. Offense was a little quiet, but it was enough to win games. And uh, they came back, too, on, uh, on yesterday. They had a really good ninth inning to come back and win that game. And like they do, they're just really good at winning one-run games. So the trend continues this year. The rookie outfielders have started a little slow, uh, both Kalenic and Julio Rodriguez. I think, you know, when we talk about pressure, those two are definitely under the spotlight, not just like in Seattle, but they were top five prospects together for a couple of years now. And I think the league has a lot of expectations for what they can do. And um, so I think. Hopefully we start seeing them hit the ball 
Mitch Haniger is doing his thing. He's being very Mitch Haniger. Yep. Um, and then the player that I think up until today, Sunday, <laughs> was really looking like he was outperforming or overperforming, I should say, was Ty France. Although, you know, looking at his career numbers, he's always been a very high hitter for average, which is something that the Mariners definitely need at the top of their lineup. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he he had 166 hits last season in 152 games, batting 291. Um, and then, you know, the couple of years before that in San Diego, batted 309 and 302. So maybe maybe all this hitting is not an anomaly, but Ty France's, you know, first two games really jumped off the page to me. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he, uh, I think, he, uh, man, if I can't remember, I think it was, I think it was him. He was one of the guys that had a key hit yesterday. Uh, I think that gave him the go-ahead run. So, and I think it was, oh, I can't remember. I think it was Murphy, Troy Murphy, actually, last year hit that grand slam. But anyway, no, I mean, he's looking good. And I think, um, you Tom know. Tom Murphy. What's that? Tom. Tom Murphy. Tom said, Murphy. Okay. He said Troy. I couldn't remember what his first name was. Uh, anyway, going back to Ty France. I think, yeah, he's an established person in that lineup. And he has kind of that uh, that calmness. Um, in those pressure moments, which I think helps this team in those situations. Like I just talked about when these one run games. So the consistency that he brings is going to help, especially with those young guns in the lineup with clinic and um, with Julio and then Suarez too, who batted like one ninety last year. <laughs> you know, it's not going to help the average for the Mariners who had, I think we're dead last, but uh, I think he is, like he said, um, you're pointing out, I think he's key to their success for sure. Yeah. And on the opposite side, I think the big standout is Carlos Correa struggling a little bit. Yeah, he hit a bomb today, an absolute moonshot, but he's been striking out a ton. And defensively, he's made a couple plays, but um, yeah, looking a little shaky at the plate, not really in his first three games again. And it's in a new, it's a new team, a new stadium, new fan base, all of that. But uh, yeah, looked a little shaky, lots of strikeouts. Yeah. All right, let's move on up to our neighbors to the north in Toronto, Texas, and the Blue Jays, Toronto Blue Jays. A lot oh, of so offense. Much offense. So much offense. Like we expected. Yeah, I mean, I think we expected, especially from the Jays, obviously. And then we know that Texas added a few people. But I like watching their games. They're going to have a top, like, quote me, they're going to have a top three offense this year. The, the Rangers? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Simeon right. Seager are obviously huge additions on the offensive side as well, but they had Brad Miller from Philadelphia. He's a great hitter. Mitch Garver. Um, who's that? You get one young kid, too. They got... Uh, give me a second here. Give me a second here. Talk about oh, Nate Lowe. Is. Nate Lowe, right? He was barreling a lot of balls. He looked really good. Former Tampa and... Bay Ray, Nate Lowe. And uh, where is he at? And then, um, and this guy, he hit uh, Adolis Garcia. I mean, he hit 30-something home runs last year. He barreled a ball the other day. They have a really, really potent offense. And they showed that this this opening series. I mean, they they lost two out of three. But in that first game, they were up 7 nothing against Toronto. And Toronto just came storming back. There was basically no pitching. Yeah, in any of these three games, each team just beat the hell out of each other, and one team was end up standing at the end. 
that's really what happened. So my biggest takeaways from this series is that obviously Toronto is offense is uh, as advertised is elite, but also I think Texas is elite as well. I really, I know this is really early, but I really feel like they're going to have a top three offense that they're just hammering the ball. But my other observation is that neither team obviously is, uh, is really um, uh, succeeding in their pitching department. And we knew that kind of on the Texas side. That's why they're not going to be a playoff team because they have they really just don't have good pitching. But Toronto, like they had they they have decent pitchers, Barrios and Gossman and um, Ryu and their bullpens got a few um, a few studs in there. But they didn't. Nobody really looked good on their side. Barrios got hammered in his outing. So he made it one third of an inning. Pitch if Toronto can't pitch. I cannot see them winning that division, even scoring as many runs as they do. I mean, they've got so much ammunition, though, come trade deadline. Because, you know, they'll they'll win enough games to be in the playoff picture, I would think, by July. No, no, no question and, about that. And they have what's scary about Toronto is like they've got and it maybe the best offensive lineup in baseball, but they've got a lot of prospects that just can't they can't find playing time for. And so I could easily see them, you know, trading two or three prospects for a really high end pitcher later this season. There's my one of my I think they're going to have to. I think they're going to have to. Um, it just doesn't seem like again. I mean, they got lit up by the Rangers. It just happened that they scored a hell of a lot of runs, too. Then that's why they won. So we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it plays out against us in this four game set. I mean. Our pull, our bullpen is great, and and they're going to be facing you know our our back uh, two starters with um, who do we got going? We got Tyon, and then we got Cortez in the first two games. So they're going to have a probably easy run, but once Cole and Sevy get back into that mix, we'll we'll see. We'll see yeah. how their um, pitching does against us too, and see if our offense. Um, it'll be a really, really interesting series. I think it'll say a lot about how both teams are going to perform, and if the Jays really can't pitch. Yeah, keep a close eye on that Blue Jays pitching and that Texas offense. Let's move over to the National League. Uh, the team that I wrote off pretty quickly, the Chicago Cubs. We all did. They, uh, they're hitting. Yeah. Yeah, they're surprising. I think if there's any overachiever like that stands out above others at the beginning of the season, it's them. And I know it's three games, but uh, their pitchings look good. They've, they're hitting pretty good. Talk about uh, Ian Happ. I think he's batting like 700 or something. Um, and uh, my pick for Rookie of the Year is Seiya Suzuki. Uh, he's looking good at the play. He's looking real good. So That's good news for me. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, the Brewers also look really sluggish. Corbin Burns came out and I didn't say he laid an egg in his start. Yeah, I think he gave up three runs and four innings or so, but he didn't look sharp. I was watching that game and he just didn't have he didn't have his cutter and he didn't have a lot of command and I didn't watch the next game, but Woodruff, um, he he got lit up. He got lit up Mm -hmm. and, uh, they got beat hard. So the Brewers biggest strength, um, did not show up for them in the first three games. And we know they don't have that grave an offense. So if they're not pitching, um, they're not winning. And that, that happened. Yeah. Chicago looked good. Brewers didn't. Down in, uh, or I should say, up in the uh, National League East, Phillies. Thoughts on them? 
going up they against can hit, Oakland Athletics. Right? They can hit, and we knew they would. Um, Schwarber, I think his first pitch he saw in the season was a home run. Very fitting, and Harper is still hitting, and you know Castellanos has gotten a couple. I think he's got quite a few RBIs. I think he had a bomb today. They can hit, but uh, their bullpen is still really struggling. I know they added to it, but uh, same tune. Uh, we'll see. I mean, they can't play defense. We know that. And if they don't have great pitching, they're going to have a hard time in that division, which is why I picked them. I picked them third, didn't I? Yeah, you, yeah, I you I picked them third. You disagreed with me. I did. Um, I did. And so, you know, again, first three games, but uh, they're going to hit. But they uh, were 30th on defense last year, so it can't get any worse, right? <laughs> and they added two bats. And they and they got worse. Like <laughs> they can't get worse technically, but they got worse, if that makes sense. Yeah. We'll see. On the defensive side. So, you know, we'll we'll see there, but they're gonna score a lot of runs and that's gonna help them win games. So, you know, they'll be in the mix because of that. And, you know, they're a big market, so then maybe they go out and get more pitching later. We'll see who's available. All right, Bobby, I have to ask you on our notes for the show. The listeners don't know, we, we write notes out before every podcast. You have written MVP Nolan Arenado, so tell yeah, me about yes, that because yes, I'm right. getting a little concerned. That's right. No, you're getting concerned about Nolan Arenado being an MVP. Okay, so first week, first weekend MVP. Okay. Well, maybe we can do this each week. We can talk about the week's MVP or player of the week, whatever the well, hell you I've got the it. Cy Young. We'll talk about the Cy Young next. We can talk about Cy Young, but I was the like I I was hesitant because we have only had one start from a couple pitchers. So, but Nolan this is, Arminato, this is the open overreaction episode. Everyone, right? It will be for the first three months that. too. It will be for the next three months. Okay, so Nolan Arnado started off the season batting five hundred, seven RBIs, two home runs, four runs scored, and a seventeen eighty eight OPS. What say you, John? It's not too bad. I wish I could not see some bad. stolen bases. <laughs> he he has eighteen. I'm literally looking at his stats right now. He's eighteen stolen bases in his whole career. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was that was just uh, me poking fun at stolen bases. Um, really good start of the season. Nolan Arnado is, in my mind, the most underrated superstar in sports. This dude, in my mind, is like a top five player overall, and he never, like, he's never really in discussion for MVP or for being the best player or for even being the best third baseman. People think Alex Bregman is better than Nolan Arenado. Like, give me a break. Nolan Arenado, every single year, is going to give you a 270 average, like a 900 OPS, 30 bombs, 100 RBIs. Oh, wait. He's also going to win a gold glove. Oh, wait, he's also going to win a platinum glove. This guy's he's a four-tool player. He's, he doesn't have speed. But he's every year a top-five player, and I feel like he just never gets credit. And everybody can be like, well, he's in Colorado. He put up the same numbers last year in St. Louis. I, I don't get it. I agree. There was no Colorado hangover like there are for a lot of other batters. Um, and his, his durability, I think, needs to be mentioned. He had five straight seasons of, guess what his lowest games played was between 2015 and 2019. Um, Out of 162 games. We're not going to talk about 2020, season. right? Nope. So I'm going to guess 119. 111 games. Not even close. 
His lowest game total for five straight years was 155. Oh, you're talking about, I was talking about his career. I, I missed that. Clearly, I didn't hear you. Yes. Yeah, 155. Pretty wild. Which, he's a third baseman. Like, he gets beat the hell up over there. And he dives and he's running. This is not a guy that just sits at first base or as a DH. This is a very physical, like, amazing defender that plays 155 games a year. So, thank you for putting the cherry on top for me. You're welcome. I'm happy to, I'm happy to celebrate players that deserve it. And he does. He's amazing. So, anyways, yeah, that's why I have him there. But also gives me a little little snippet to to kind of gas him up a little bit because he's he's been consistently one of my favorite players. All right, my overreaction, Cy Young, <laughs> three games, one start into the season, is none other than Mr. Carlos Rodon. <laughs> okay, who, yeah. Let me pull up his stats. So he pitched just five innings. How many strikeouts did he have, Bobby? He had Can twelve. You, he had twelve strikeouts in five innings. Out of I don't need. I don't even. Right? Yeah, and I don't even need to look at anything else. I mean that that tells you <laughs> that it. you know he's he's Man, ready for know. this season. Uh, he gave really up one at... run and three hits, so he is my. He he really came out of nowhere for me last year. I mean, I think for everyone, because his his ERA was just like nowhere near what it was throughout his entire career in Chicago. Um, or I, I should say he was in Chicago last year, but, you know, up until that point. Right. Uh, now he's in a better ballpark, a better, uh, I would say, pitching coaching environment. And yeah, he just started the season with a 12 strikeout, five inning outing. So not too shabby. Man, I I know there was a lot of doubt about him because last year was kind of his breakout year. And then he kind of, you know, he he slid off a little bit the later part of the year. But I really felt like that was a great signing by the Giants. And he was supposed to be on our, one of our top lists for the Yankees to sign him. Like everybody else, we didn't. So I'm happy to see him coming out of the gate, starting strong. Can I go to the most puzzling starting pitcher of the weekend? Go for it. Noah Syndergaard. Oh, yeah. He pitched a five and a third inning shutout. Only had one strikeout, Bobby. This is a guy that's known for his uh, missing bats. And that is just a little odd to me that I mean, he was so puzzling. successful at limiting hits, sure. but he couldn't strike anyone out. But if you're not giving up hits, you're not giving up runs, then you're pitching good. Yeah, I don't disagree. Just a, just a puzzling stat. I'm surprised uh, a little bit about how strong of a start he had to begin the season. That's a good sign for the Angels because they don't have a lot of pitching depth. So Syndergaard, I think he's, he only signed a one-year deal with them, I think. So, But and for was... him, that's big for him on the individual side because this is kind of a showcase year for him. Yeah, he's got to show that he can make it through a whole season. Um, Sean Mania also, he had, I think, six innings or something of no-hit ball. Seven innings total, one hit, seven strikeouts. So talking about really quick, early Cy Young, uh, I'll go with him just because he had a great start for San Diego in his debut. Yeah. Looked good. All right. Should we go to the bad news of the weekend? <laughs> yeah, go for it, man. Uh, Brandon Woodruff, more like Brandon Woodruff. All right. 
I had to get my dad joke out of the way. Yeah, John is like perpetually a 57-year-old white man, by the way. So everybody, if you haven't caught on to that, now you know. Now I know. And I am, Bobby, you need to stall while I, while I uh, bring up his stats for the weekend. But you, you watched some of that, right? I actually didn't watch that game. I just saw the stat line. Um, I was watching the Yankees game. I think it was during that same time period. So by time I looked at the box score, it, it was looking terrible. All right. Terrible I pulled it up. Him. So three and two thirds inning with six hits, but seven earned runs on 89 pitches. 89 pitches. 89 three pitches. Oh, my God. Dude. That is not good. And uh, yeah, he naturally got the loss. This was to the Chicago Cubs, too. Not the most elite offense, the most intimidating offense in the world. So I don't know. Maybe it is. Brandon Woodruff. Next, we will go. We mentioned Carlos Correa. Uh, His former teammate, Jose Altuve, is off to a a slow start. Bobby, I'll let you talk about that since you love to uh, rag on all the Houston Astros. Well, he wasn't even in the lineup today. Did you see that? I did not, no. Yeah, Altuve wasn't even in the lineup today. Um, I've got it up here. So my, he had 12, he's down. had 12 at-bats and just one hit so far. It was a home run, too. It was a leadoff home run, I think, against... L.A. No mate. Was Angels. it Syndergaard? Yes, it was. I think it was. That was Syndergaard's only run that he gave up. Um, I love that because... Uh, it's surprising actually, that a player that is not on the Red Sox takes the crown of being the most hated player for me, but he, I, I really dislike Jose Altuve for many reasons. And, you know, one of the first reasons was that he won MVP against Aaron Judge in 2017, which was absolutely insane. And then it comes out like he's one of the ringleaders for the trash can cheating scandal. And then my man knocks hits that walk off in 19 against us while probably wearing a, a buzzer on him and he gives that that <laughs> nonsense baloney story about how his wife didn't want him to take his shirt off come on dude please oh i please. remember that that was really funny so watching him struggle is just sweet sweet syrup for me yeah i mean the astros offense still looks really good but they're gonna be good yeah chris tucker or kyle tucker sorry um He's going to have another good year. He's looking good. And the Jeremy Pena kid looks like he's going to be, he looks like he's going to be solid. And Jordan, he's going to hit 45 home runs probably. They're still going to have a potent offense for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, and now we go to our segment debating whether a rookie can underachieve. So, uh, <laughs> right. you know, I, me- I mentioned earlier about how both um, Kalenic and Julio Rodriguez have. You know, not not blown us away with the stats that they put up over the weekend and clinic last year. So, Bobby, can a rookie underachieve or are expectations just are they kind of exempt from no, expectations no. their first year? So me and John were talking about this before we we hit record and he said that Julio Rodriguez was underachieving. I'm like, this is his first three games ever as a major leaguer. Like, how can he underachieve? It's just that, like, I, I can't... It's the first three games of his career. How can he underachieve? 
you got to give it the season to tell me that a rookie underachieves. Okay, Kalenic doesn't count. He had a rookie season. This is not his rookie season. Okay, he he had the whole year and he underachieved consistently. So give me a break on telling me that Julio is underachieving in three games. All right. I will say that he, I'm not trying to pile it on Julio. I was just, uh, for the listeners, he has struck out in half of his at-bats so far. He's played every game. Um, so he's he's figuring out major league pitching, which is as expected. Right. Right, but he did have a key hit. I'll just say that in that yeah. comeback win yesterday. First so, hit of his career. It was a big one. All right. It was a big one. What are the notes do you have from the weekend, Bobby? You know, there's only one undefeated team, unfortunately, right now, and that's the Tampa Bay Rays, but they also played a team <laughs> that lost like 110 games in the Baltimore Orioles to start the season, so I'm hesitant to give them a lot of credit for being the only undefeated team. Uh, in Major League Baseball, because they were basically playing a Triple A team. So, well, I would. That's say that what the, I feel about that, John. I would say the Orioles are better than they've been the last two years. They're still a hundred loss team. Agreed. Yeah. Anyways, yes, the Tampa Bay Rays are the only team that's three no, which is kind of surprising, um, honestly, that uh, it only took three games for everybody to basically get a loss. I will say the the Dodgers going one and two against the Rockies is a little surprising, too. It's that uh, Chris Bryant effect. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see him literally drop a pop up today in left field? No, I did not. Yeah, the ball was just hit. It wasn't like it was kind of a line drive, a soft line drive directly to him. He just dropped it. And Why are they the having scored him, like two runs? Why are they having him play left field? I don't. I, I don't know. I don't even know who they're. Let me pull up the box real quick. I mean, the Cubs had were having him play left field, and so were the Giants. Like he's been doing that for a couple of years to play left field, and I don't really know why. What's the thinking behind it? I mean, he's a big guy, I suppose, but who they got at third base? Oh, they have what's his name, McCann. Ryan McCann, who I think they just signed to an extension in the offseason, so. Yeah, he's been underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he's, I mean, Chris Bryant, for those who don't know, you should, if you're a baseball fan, you do know, but if you, anyway, he's a third baseman. He came up as third baseman. That was his, that was his position through college, through the bigs, and then they just put him out in left field. I think it's, it's always kind of weird. I mean, I was an infielder. Growing up and playing, I played shortstop in the second base. And then randomly when I was like 14, my coach put me in left field and I felt so out of my element. And so I can understand why Chris Bryant would be um, not the best defensive left fielder because he didn't, he didn't spend his whole life playing as a left fielder. It's just different. The fly balls, the angles and angles of attack and reaction, totally different. So it always scratches my head when I see people move out infielders into the outfield bobby going back to uh the race the undefeated race for a second yeah naturally. i just want you to know that they might be seven and zero by the end of the week who's because their, they play the games they play four games against oakland at home jesus they the raise the luckiest team in baseball unbelievable uh, every time i look at their summary in their box score it's like oh runner scored on a sack fly runner scored on a walk runner scored on a pass pitch like they score more runs on non-hits than any other team i've ever seen and i don't get it the analytics are working 
It's crazy. Let's look ahead at some matchups that, you know, if people have, I think, I think we should do this, you know, occasionally if people have time throughout the week, we can give them a couple matchups uh, to look out for. Oh, okay, so cool. what you got? Yeah. Let's let's look at this week ahead. You already mentioned, I think, the most um, probably the most pressing matchup for people to watch, which is Blue Jays Yankees. That's yep. probably going to be the most entertaining. Pay attention to that. I would say Padres Giants in San Francisco. They started could a be interesting at the beginning sure. of the week. Um, if offense is your thing, Rockies Rangers. Um. And then, oh man, I could we could see. I mean, this is in Texas, it's not in Colorado, but uh, I'm really curious to see if that Rangers offense still continues. I really feel like it's going to. And if the Rockies offense can travel, I can't. <laughs> they're not a good team. Like, I don't care if they won two out of three, they're not a good team. All right. And then uh, going into the weekend, the second half of the week, Astros are at the Mariners. That's the Mariners, I believe, first. Home yeah, series. I would love to go, but I am essentially homeless, so I can't afford to go. Listeners, if anyone has a ticket, Bobby is looking. Send him my like. way. Uh, twins at Red Sox should be interesting. And then I would say Rays at White Sox, Angels at serious. Rangers, and Braves at Padres are probably... Uh, Oh, and I should say Cardinals at Brewers is also, that should be a good uh, NL Central matchup. I think I'm excited definitely for the Seattle and Houston series, just to see how, you know, because I, I picked the Mariners over the Astros to win the division. So to see how these early in the year matchups go, I'll be really curious. You did. You did. So those are the matchups uh, I would look ahead to. And, uh, Make some time. See if you can get out to the ballpark for opening weekend. I haven't even checked, Bobby. Are uh, you know is is it crazy town to try and get a ticket right now? I was looking, and it doesn't. It didn't seem that much more expensive than uh, they normally are. So that could have changed in the last couple of days. But you could still find a ticket if you want to sit up and the three hundred level. You could get a ticket for like ten bucks still. All right, that's good to hear. Anything else on uh, on the MLB? No, man. Uh, first weekend down, but uh, I'm excited to see. I'm just excited to see how things play out. I mean, this series against Toronto, obviously going straight into it. We played ten games in a row with no break. So to see how we match up, if we split that series, I'll be happy. And obviously, as a Yankees fan, that's what I'm paying attention to. And you know, the thing with baseball is that the first month in the season is almost a wash for everybody. Yeah, you play 162 games and you really can't hold on to many storylines in the first month. Like you're not going to see the trends of who is good um, individually and as a team until June. And that seems kind of silly, but, you know, take everything with a grain of salt for right now. Yeah, I remember 2019 was the Rays hottest start I've ever seen. And after April, I was going crazy. that This is the best team in baseball. Um, their, yeah, who won that division that year? Pitching staff was just on fire, and then Blake Snell slips in the shower and gets injured, and it was all downhill from there for him. The team still, you know, made the playoffs, but I uh, will say, I will say. So, by the way, uh, John didn't answer. The Yankees won the division that year. We won 103 oh, games. Oh, did, did um, they? Yeah. Anyway, I will say the Rays. 
played the Astros in the playoffs that year in the division series, and they went all five games. And Tyler Glass now pitched game five, and they rocked him in the first inning, I think for like four or five runs. And John Boy, John Boy Media, if you don't know who he is, check him out on YouTube. He's got these amazing breakdowns. Um, he's the guy that really came out with the detailed breakdown of the cheating scandal against the Astros. Well, he did a, a breakdown of Tyler Glasnow's outing against the Astros for that division series at Game 5 and was saying that he was tipping pitches. He was tipping pitches, and that's why the Astros knew what pitch was coming. And they were, you could see like Bregman saying, oh, it, you know, if he does this, it's like a, a breaking ball. And so John Boyd did a, a breakdown saying, oh, this is how Glasnow was uh, tipping his pitches. And that's why, lo and behold, you know, a month or two later, he was doing the breakdown saying, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> No, the Astros were cheating and stealing signs. It's pretty good. Um, the irony cannot be missed is that uh, when John Boy was saying he was tipping his pitches, more than likely what was actually happening was that the Astros were just stealing those signs and getting to glass now. So uh, pretty interesting. And the Rays could have potentially won that series. Yeah, maybe they would have had back-to-back uh world series appearances you never know so fun take if you have you seen that john have you seen that breakdown i have not i'm gonna send it to you after we we get done it's not long it's only like three or four minutes that's the thing about john boy it's nice they're really short videos you gotta watch it that might be the only time that you and i are on the same side of an issue with the rays (laughs) i mean when the astro is involved you better believe it yep all right, let's move on to a season that just wrapped up. The Literally. NBA, yes, as we're recording the final games of the 82-game season, the first 82-game season uh, since 2019, just wrapped up. And we're not going to go through all of the playoff matchups this week. I think we'll do that next week as the playoffs are starting for the, you know, the true eight teams in the playoffs. But if you don't know, the NBA has added a play-in round for the 7 through 10 seeds to try and you know, motivate teams at the bottom to, to try and win towards the end of the season because the NBA has historically gotten really, really awful to watch for about the last month of the season, typically. And it still happens. Uh, there are still teams that go to great lengths to lose games at the end of the, the year. But the Trailblazers? Is that what you're talking about? The, their tank is historic. Uh, we don't have time for that today, but we can go into <laughs> detail episode. about that maybe when the uh, draft lottery happens or the draft itself, because sure. it, what they have done is pretty stunning. Um, but let's talk about the play-in. So let's start with the East. The Nets have the seventh seed, the Cavs have the eighth seed, followed by the Hawks and the Hornets. The way that it'll work is the Hawks and Hornets will play each other, the Nets and Cavs will play each other, and then the winner of the Hawks Hornets will play the loser of the Nets Cavs. Right. So obviously, the Nets, you know, we did not think that they would be in the play in. And for a team that as old and, you know, I guess risk, uh, injury risk. I, I'm looking for the right term, but you know, a team that injury prone, injury prone. Thank you. Um, they've got some some older players on their roster. It it's not ideal to have to play a play in game and potentially two if they lose their yeah. first one 
right yeah, before heading into the playoffs. You think that they win their 7-8 yeah, matchup with the Cavs? For sure. They've been playing strong enough towards the end of the season, and Kyrie now can play. And they're not playing Toronto either, which is great for them. Because if they were playing Toronto, then Kyrie couldn't play. So right. the fact that Kyrie can play, Katie's obviously playing out of his mind. Um, I think Seth Curry, they sat, up, sat him out. But he's been, he's been a pretty good spark for them since he came over. They're playing strong enough, and I think Cleveland's really been trending down the later part of the year i mean the end of the season three and seven the last 10 games so they weren't in the playing game and they've been comfortably in that top six seeds for top six seeds for um most of the wow. year so they just recently slipped into that playing game yeah i so think you know i, really it was think, a, brooklyn, I think brooklyn takes it it was a combination of toronto getting really hot toronto finished the season eight and two run boston of course the best team since uh the calendar year started and yeah, Cleveland's just been banged up with injuries. You know, it started yep. with um, Colin Sexton, then it was Ricky Rubio, and um, you know, they they made somewhat of a desperate move at the deadline um, to try to get their their shooting guard. Uh, what's his face? <laughs> Help me out, Bobby. Uh, Karis yeah, Levert. You're the <laughs> Karis NBA Levert expert here, so um, I lean on you. A, tra- a trade that was, you know, definitely a win now move. And now that they got the eight seed, it doesn't look like maybe it was worth it, especially since yeah. they're a young team that could have been patient, you know, but yeah, they'll be good next year. They might but... have been in, under a lot of pressure from ownership to start putting butts in seats. And, you know, these from a revenue standpoint, these play in games matter a lot to owners because they bring in, you know. One to two million dollars, probably. For the pl- just one play-in game, so uh, it, it's a big deal for them. Hawks, Hornets. The Hornets have been a much improved recently. Uh, they went through a pretty rough stretch in March and kind of kind of finished the season on a, a high note. Same thing with the Hawks after the trade deadline. You know they were really struggling, not living up to expectations for being a conference finals team's team last year. And uh, they've also ended the season playing much better. What's crazy about the Eastern Conference is you had to have an over 500 record just to get the 10th seed this year, which right. I do not know the last time that that happened. But yeah, I mean, you know, especially the Eastern Conference, uh, pretty which crazy. Traditionally, has been the weaker conference. The Hornets finished four games above 500 to get that 10th seed. I'm going to yeah, say the I'm... Hawks. Oh, go ahead. Another interesting thing is that the 7 through 10 seed are only separated by one game. They all essentially have the same record. Yeah. And there are three teams, <laughs> Bucks, Celtics, and Sixers, that all finished with the same record, 51 and 31. So that's pretty wild. Oh, I was, I was noticing that, too. So Boston looks like they, they edged out for the two seed, which is, I don't know, good because that means if that's good for them, because then that they go into play the nets, which I think are easily the, the most, um, they're just the better team out of these playing teams. I, the record doesn't necessarily reflect it towards the end of the year, but you're not going to want to go up against Kyrie and KD in the playoffs. So that's going to be a tough matchup But the Celtics. Like you said, have been the hottest team in the league since the, the year turned over. So, uh, that'll be a fun matchup. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the Celtics have some nightmares about how that series went in the first round last year. So, <laughs> yes. uh, Atlanta, Charlotte, 
I'm going to say Atlanta just based off of experience. I don't trust Charlotte at all. Yeah, um, I agree. They get on. I, I want to say Charlotte because they're fu- like they're fun and they're young and they've been playing better. But so is Atlanta. I was looking at Atlanta and they feel like they were below 500 like the whole year until like the last couple of weeks. And then they really picked it up. And it's hard like Trey Young in that lineup and the experience that that run that they had last year, I think is going to help them. But they're going to have to win two games against. Uh, I think they beat Cleveland, too. If I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, I think Atlanta ekes out the Hornets and Cleveland to make that eight seed. Yeah, I I would agree with you. Atlanta has the experience. You know, we referenced that they had a deep run last year. They they probably overachieved last year. It, oh, for pretty sure. Pretty fair to say that, but for sure, you know, they have a much more experienced team than Cleveland does. And like I said, Cleveland has had to put so much. Um, onto the shoulders of just a few guys on their roster that I think they're they're kind of in a tailspin. Darius Garland has had to play a lot and had to be their number one scoring option pretty much all year as the only uh, really reliable guard that stayed healthy the entire season. So I think maybe you know players never purposely lose, but. I'm sure that the guys on the Cleveland team are saying, yeah, you know, I've already got my ticket booked to Jamaica. I'm, I'm ready to rest. It's been a long season. It will get him next year. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move over to the Western Conference. And the biggest story of the Western Conference is not who's in the plan, but who's not in the plan. And that is LeBron James and the Lakers, who finished the year 32 and 49. 17 games under 500. Wow. Yeah. It's his worst record. I think I can't remember the statistic, but where he's played like 80% of the games, it's the worst record he ha- he's had in his career other than his rookie season with the Cleveland Cavaliers who were like just in the dumpster of the NBA at that point. So, for those of you that have a Twitter or you follow um, you know, NBA online, There was a tweet that LeBron James posted last summer when they traded for Russell Westbrook and they signed Carmelo Anthony and Dwight Howard. And it was basically, you know, the media was saying, oh, this is the oldest team ever assembled, blah, blah, blah. And LeBron posted something like, don't count us out. And it was uh, a picture of all the old guys that are like all over 30 years old. And most of them are like 35, 36. Um, he has since deleted that tweet, of course, and this is the conclusion of the Russell Westbrook trade that turned out to be just a complete mistake. Uh, it's gotta be worse a... than anybody's expecting, right? I don't, I don't think anybody expected good things out of this, but this is how ha- this that has to be worse than people were expecting, especially with how honestly bad the bottom of the West was this year. Like, there's no excuse to fall behind the Spurs in the standing, you know, and the Clippers without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard for, you know, Kawhi Leonard hasn't played this year. Paul George has played about half a season. You know, the Clippers play hard and they're well coached, but still that you shouldn't fall behind those teams. New Orleans without Zion, like there's just no excuse for the Lakers, in my opinion. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't think anybody can really explain it that, or expect, I should say, 
would have expected, especially the Spurs. Like, how are the Spurs in that play-in game? The Lakers had a catastrophic, like, last 20 games of the season to force themselves out of the playoffs. It almost seemed intentional for how bad they played. Yeah. As uh, one of my favorite podcast hosts says, they are an unserious franchise. He has been uh, railing on them for like the last two months. Uh, and I think that's a good good way to describe it. They are unserious about winning. I think they I think they just reserved the fact that it wasn't going to be a successful season. I mean, even LeBron, even though he's scoring whatever, 50 points a game and average 30 for the year, um, wasn't like his effort level was up there towards the end of the season. They just kind of gave up. But anyway, I could, I could, uh, you know, throw shade at the Lakers for hours, but I, I'll stop here and let's talk about the teams actually in the play in Minnesota, seventh, LA Clippers, eighth. So there will be a play in game. Uh, I guess not at Staples, but LA team in the play in. And then New Orleans, ninth, San Antonio, tenth. Bobby, what do you think of those four teams? Well, I I mean, not just record-wise, but Minnesota is clearly the better team out of all of these. So ultimately, they win that game against the Clippers, I think. Unless Paul George just goes ham and takes over, which is possible. But uh, I think the Timberwolves are a decent team. I think they make it out of that. Spurs and Pelicans, like, there's no reason in the world that any of these those two teams should even be in the playoff conversation. It's, it's I don't care. I don't know. Like... Like whoever, whatever, whoever wins isn't gonna win. It like, it's probably the Pelicans. They probably take it, and they lose to the Clippers. Clippers make the eight seed. That's kind of my prediction. But neither the Pelicans or the Spurs should even be anywhere near this. And it's crazy that it's crazy that they are. Yeah, and that it's crazy that you know they we still haven't seen Zion this whole year. Like I think people forget their best player isn't even on that team so is he done you think like is he like greg odin and like what do you no, think is he that I kind of player i don't think he's at that point there was a video that came out of him in a practice facility a couple weeks ago did you see that he he dunked the ball like he did a yeah a driving a driving dunk where he was clearly putting a lot of weight on his knee to get up and jump up to so the hoop. Is, so is he like a Ben Simmons thing? He just doesn't want to play for the Pelicans. He's just using an injury to not play. I think there is a lot of distrust with the organization and like his circle, his agency. It's it's a complicated situation. I don't want to misspeak about anything, but I think the there's been enough actions that the New Orleans ownership and front offices have made over the last two years to where I think the pelicans players don't have a lot of trust in the ownership and i think zion is using his own trainers you know his own medical staff when new orleans wants him to use theirs and you know those two sides just don't seem to be talking to each other very nicely uh and i believe so zion was drafted in 2019 so he's been eligible for a contract extension and that hasn't happened um so it seems like he's betting on himself and there's rumors that he wants to go to new york he wants to play with his old teammate rj barrett for the knicks I heard that a lot yeah 
Um, but you know, he, to his credit, he hasn't really spoken at all and he hasn't said anything on social media. Like he's been very quiet about it the whole time, despite everyone else talking about what's his status. So, you know, it, it, it seems like the issue is just the medical staff of his camp that have their own interests and motives to, you know, obviously get him paid, get him a big contract. And then the Pelicans who don't want to lose the pillar of their franchise, but they're also like, you know, you gotta, you gotta rehab the way we want you to rehab. You gotta eat the way we want you to eat. And, you know, it gets into a gray area, just not only sports wise, but like ethically too. Yeah, it's uh, it's really disappointing because he was like such a superstar coming out of college, and there was so much excitement around him. And it, it, he's just been a ghost in the league. So <laughs> you gotta hope that he is healthy or gets healthy, and that and then he plays. If that's not New Orleans, it's somewhere. So I, it would it'd be really sad and really unfortunate to see his career fizzle out, and I really not see like the best Zion in the league for 10 years because i think that's 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 good for the league that's good for sports so anyway not to get on too much of a tangent who who is your teams coming out who are your teams coming out of these playing games yeah so i have the clippers beating the timberwolves i just think you do i just think that the clippers they just play so hard and they've looked pretty good without their two best players like to have an over 500 record when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard aren't even playing, that's pretty impressive. Like their their role players have just found a way to to grind it out, you know. Wait, is and Paul George out again? He just came back. Okay, you did. Because I'm looking at their depth chart right now, and they're they're starting five. They're you know first starting five, and their depth chart um, is. <laughs> Is out, 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 out. <laughs> oh well, that's probably they rested. Them it's probably the the it's probably yeah. old, but I was looking. I'm like, oh my god. Anyway, continue. So their their starting lineup should be something like Reggie Jackson, Norman Powell, Paul George, uh, Robert Covington, and Vicha Zubac, maybe. Or yeah, he's uh, on there. Yeah, so. That's a pretty good starting lineup. I I think Minnesota will definitely make it close. I just don't know if they have, you know, they don't have that like same level of experience and coaching that the Clippers do. And we'll just see how it it depends how motivated the Clippers are. You know, if they're like, yeah, Kawhi is not coming back at all. We we don't really care. Then, you know, maybe maybe Minnesota wins. But if I think if Kawhi is looking to this team and saying, you know, I'll come back if you make it to the first round or if you make it to the second round, then, you know, maybe they're going to be pushing really hard. Maybe they they know that he's pretty quick or pretty close to coming back. Um, but you never know with Kawhi's injury stuff. I mean, that's like the biggest mystery box in the league. I mean, it has um, been like his whole career, it seems like. Yeah. New Orleans, San Antonio, I think New Orleans wins that pretty easily. And then I yeah. think Minnesota beats New Orleans. So really the only outcome is just that the 7-8, in my opinion, flip uh, once playoff time comes around. All right. So we basically agree on both sides of that, too. A couple seeding differences, but I mean, it's pretty easy prediction to not pick 
New Orleans and San Antonio to actually make that top eight seed. Yeah. Although New Orleans, when uh, Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum play, they, they look decent. They, I think they could give either team a close game. I don't think it'll be a blowout. I think it'll sure. be enough to make me nervous. Because uh, there's some uh, lottery playoff pick, or I mean draft pick implications uh, at play in the background, but I won't bore everybody with those. Another time. Another time. Uh, one thing I want to note is uh, Miami got that one seed in the East. Close. Only two games above the next three seeds. Uh, they really did. close top six seeds, but Miami did pull it out. So we, maybe there we can go. get to that next week. When yeah. do so the playing games are this week, right? Playing games should be this week. Let me check on the schedule. So Tuesday, Wednesday are the first playing games, and then the next ones will probably be Thursday, Friday, and then. The playoffs. Ooh, I think they start on Friday. Is that right? No, 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 no. Friday, Saturday. No, Saturday is, I think, the first day of the actual playoffs. Okay. That would make sense. Playoffs began April 16th. Yeah. Yeah. So by the time we record, we'll have a little bit of uh, outcome on first round. Everyone yes, will have played first game. Yes, sir. Anything uh anything else you want to wrap in there before we wrap up this NBA section? No, I don't think so. I think uh if this is a fun time where we got baseball kicking off and overreactions to everything happening on that side and then every week we should have some pretty cool, pretty entertaining playoff games in the NBA at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have a full week of baseball and uh really figuring out what that playoff picture is going to look like. So sports has been good. Sports has been good to us the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it feels like it's just a marathon. Like we blew through March Madness and that was intense. And there's like, there's no break, you know, it's the Masters and the yeah, MLB we'll kicking summertime. off. It'll be chill. Uh, once we hit, once we hit mid-June, just be baseball and it's like mid-season. Yeah, and then we got to ramp up then. for football. Yeah, who cares about football? Come on. Come on, John. Nobody in this country cares about football. No, but. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I do want to say real quick, I, before I got on this podcast, I was watching a movie, and that movie was West Side Story. Ah, yes. And it was a very good movie. I have not seen West Side Story before, either in theater or the original production, like from the 50s. So I didn't know what the story was. And so I've started off watching the movie like, okay, like this is like, I like musicals. Like the, the cinematography is great. I love the contrast and the color palette. Singing's great. Dancing's great. Like this is kind of a fun, upbeat movie. Oh boy. I was in for a surprise there. It is not, <laughs> it does not end on uh, a fun note. Um, but having said that, I really enjoyed the movie. So if you like musicals, Obviously, West Side Story is no secret. It's huge. The new iteration by Steven Spielberg is really good. You should check it out. Yeah, it gets a little dark. Um, you ever read Romeo and Juliet, Bobby? Yeah, like back in high school. So I know it's I know it's like a modern adaptation now right. of Romeo and Juliet, which obviously makes sense to me now looking back at it. But I didn't know that connection was there when I first started watching it. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I saw the original and the new one, and I, I really liked the new one as well. So if you haven't seen it, it, and it was nominated for a couple different Oscars. We didn't even talk about the Oscars. We didn't. Uh, that's, that's okay. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that another time. We'll get it another time, maybe. Um, yeah, so it was nominated for a couple Oscars, and um, give, me a, give me a second here. It did win um, Supporting Best Supporting Actress, but I forgot her name. I forgot her yeah, name. Yeah, it's Maria's but, older sister. Right. She won Best Supporting Actress. So that's pretty cool. Oscars obviously were, sh- <laughs> were shouted by uh, a big event that I'm just not going to talk about because it's just so saturated that I don't need to. You mean uh, you mean uh, the gift bags? The controversial gift bags? Yeah, that's it, John. Yep. All right. But like that's, I said, I don't want to get into it. That's all I so. Don't want to get into it. So anyways, go check out that movie. Pretty good. All right. Well, we will be back next week with more baseball talk and a little bit of NBA playoff coverage. Until then, thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you all soon. Yep. Enjoy your week, folks. Uh, Again, find us on Twitter at Yankee6 and at Thor Theory. We'll see you next Monday. Bye. Toodles.